Well, good morning. Uh, good to be with you all. As, as we get started, I, I do want to acknowledge that a number of folks graduated this weekend. And I think due to some crazy schedules, none of them are with us right now. Um, but I want to acknowledge that and, and celebrate that. Uh, schedules remain crazy over the next several weeks. And I think the first time they will all be here on a Sunday is August 4th. So we have planned to celebrate them on August 4th. Afterwards, there's going to be a potluck and we're going to hang out and celebrate. So mark that down on your calendars. You can plan well in advance. Uh, we do want to celebrate. And there's another set of folks to be acknowledged today, as Lonnie already mentioned. Today, much of the Western world celebrates Father's Day. And so it's a day to honor fathers and father figures. It might be a good time to remember that God has said to us to honor our fathers and our mothers. So if you have a father, or if you are a father, then may you honor and be honored today. But our families of origin can be kind of complicated sometimes. And so it's also a good time to remember that the scriptures tell us that God is the caretaker of the fatherless, and that he is the protector of widows. So whether that word father holds love and goodness for you, or perhaps some measure of pain and brokenness, know that God is near you today and every day. It's good to be with you all today. Um, I, I missed you last week. Uh, last, last week I woke up Sunday morning and I was thinking about you all and, and praying for your time together. I was away at a retreat that I actually signed up for about a year ago, which was before I was even here. And, and it was with an organization called Renovare, which is the Latin word for renewal. It was started by Richard Foster, the author of Celebration of Discipline. Some of you may be familiar with that. And it's this organization that focuses on spiritual renewal, spiritual formation, and the practice of spiritual disciplines. And you may be thinking, wow, that's a lot of spirit stuff. And it is. And it's very appropriate because that's kind of the direction that we've been heading the last few weeks. If you've been here, two weeks ago, we looked at Acts chapter 1 and how before Jesus ascended into heaven, he told his disciples to stay in Jerusalem and to wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon them. And then last week, Jimmy turned the page to Acts chapter 2 and he walked us through the story of when the Spirit came and people were able to speak to one another and listen to one another in ways that they hadn't been before. So this is what I want us to focus on together kind of for the next few weeks. I want to look at some of what the scriptures tell us about the Holy Spirit, who he is and what he does. And I want to emphasize that the Holy Spirit is not an it a person, just like the other three persons of God, the Father and the Son, so also the Spirit is a person. So yes, we saw the Spirit come upon the people 
at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. But even before that, we saw all three, Father, Son, and Spirit, acting together when Jesus was baptized. Do you remember? The Father spoke, this is my beloved Son, and the Spirit descended like a dove, and Jesus came out from the water. So a lot of times we can kind of start to think that the Spirit was not really active or on the scene until Acts chapter 2. But if we look at Scripture, that's just not true. The Spirit was present and active before that. In fact, the Spirit was present and active long before that. Do any of you know the first time the Spirit is mentioned in the Bible? Genesis chapter 1 the very first page. So go ahead and open there. That's where we're going to be this morning. Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Now, you've probably heard this passage a million times. You may be able to recite it from memory, right? And you might skip right over it because it is so familiar. But if you have a Bible with you or some kind of device or something, Let's, let's look at this. I want to dig into it together this morning. Though these words are familiar, they are rich. So let's hear the word of the Lord. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your spirit and filling us, your people, with it. I pray that today we would continue to be filled with your spirit and that we would see how your spirit is living and active in the world and has always been. God, I pray that as we reflect on these words, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, if we're beginning this service or this time together with the whole dads and grads thing, that means that it must be summertime, right? Or that summertime is close. And summertime is a time when we often are a bit closer to creation, right? And that seems especially true in the Pacific Northwest since the rest of the year we're cooped up inside while it's raining. And I, do any of you ever feel pressured this time of year? Like the sun's out, I really ought to be outside, right? And, and you just kind of feel that pressure, you know, I, it'd be nice to just sort of chill or hang out, but the sun's out, and that doesn't happen often. Sometimes it can almost be a relief when the rain comes back, because it's like, okay, fine, I can introvert and be inside and read my book and not feel guilty about it. Um, but nonetheless, this time of year is one that we tend to be a bit closer to creation. Is there anyone here who enjoys hiking? Yeah, we got a few. Anyone enjoy being on the water? Maybe it's kayaking or canoeing, okay, paddle boarding, something like that. Um, do any of you enjoy traveling during the summertime? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so it's, a, it's an active time of the year, a great time to go visit the many beautiful national and state parks that we have. I grew up doing all of these things during the summertime. We would often go camping, we would stay at parks, go canoeing, all that kind of stuff. But I will never forget, when I was a kid, the summer that we went to visit the Grand Canyon. All right? It is incredible. Have, have any of you, who's been to the Grand Canyon, right? It is a wonder to behold. I was probably somewhere around 10 years old, I'm not exactly sure. And I'd always grown up hearing about the Grand Canyon. And so actually going to see it was just amazing, right? I remember looking down into this massive canyon and being in awe of how big it was. And we even hiked a little way down into it. And I felt like it was one of the most epic journeys I'd ever been on. It was just amazing. But what I remember most about this childhood visit to the Grand Canyon was becoming a junior park ranger. It was, I, I was, I'm maybe still a little proud of, of that accomplishment, right? I got a little badge and everything. It was, it was great. So in order to become a junior park ranger, right, you have to complete a number of different activities. They give you this little activity booklet and it includes finding a certain number of different things and identifying them and, and going to different parts of the park and marking it off. And you also have to attend a talk with one of the park rangers. And then once you've done everything, you go to the visitor center, show them your little booklet that you filled out, and they give you the badge, right? And I, I was so proud. Uh, and one of the things that I learned through this process is how the Grand Canyon came to be, right? This massive, awe-inspiring, epic canyon was formed over millions of years through the simple process of erosion, right? Wind and water slowly eroding away. The Colorado River carving out this canyon over millions of years. And now we have the Grand Canyon, one of the seven natural wonders of the world, to go see and behold because of this flowing river and, and wind that carved it out. So summertime is an incredible time to be outside, to explore the world, but all of this beauty and all of this wonder wasn't always there. That's what we just read. So let's look back at the text. It begins, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So, so think of this, the epic of that Grand Canyon scene, or the majesty of Mount Rainier that we get to see more often this time of year than the rest. Miles of evergreen forests, right? Or the shimmer of twinkling stars. God created all of these things. And I love this. Throughout the entire Bible, if, if you just take your Bible, thumb through it, feel all those pages, there's a lot of them. Throughout the entire Bible, this word create is only ever used with God. A lot of other characters, a lot of other people, a lot of humans do a lot of things 
throughout Scripture. But only God creates, which means that every ounce of beauty and wonder that we encounter has God as its source. Only God creates. Before all of this, there was God. But there's something else, right? Keep reading. Look at verse 2. It says, Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. You see, it's not only that this didn't exist, and now it does, but rather the picture we have here is also that it was all once an unformed mess until God put it in order. God's act of creation is not only nothing to something, but actually messy to majesty. This is what God does. He gives form to the formless. This phrase, formless and empty, or some translations say formless and void, right, is a, is a wonderful and poetic one. I'll, I'll teach you some Hebrew this morning, all right? The, the words for this phrase is tohu wabohu. Say that, tohu wabohu. We'll try that one more time, all right? Tohu wabohu, right? It sounds formless and void. It is kind of this crazy-sounding phrase. One way that we might translate it more phonetically into English is the earth was topsy-turvy, right? It was kind of this wild mess. Or another poetic way of translating it might be the world was wild and waste. It was formless and void. This image is kind of this swirling, empty, formless chaos. Think of flour and water before you've mixed it into dough, right? Or think of a pile of auto parts in your garage that hasn't been assembled into whatever it's supposed to become, right? It's chaos, and you don't really know what's where. And not only is there a formless emptiness, but also darkness was over the face of the deep. So this swirling, chaotic nothing is shrouded in darkness. And the word deep here has this sort of menacing and mysterious sense to it. Some more questions. Have any of you ever been snorkeling? Now, has anyone ever, going a little deeper, been scuba diving? All right, scuba diving. So deep diving typically is considered anywhere between 50 to 100 feet under the water, from what I've read. Um, that, that's deep enough to be considered deep. The world record, though, for the deepest dive is 1,090 feet, which is just crazy because it becomes really risky to do something like that. And many have died in the process of trying. Now, to, to keep thinking about this, sunlight only makes it about a thousand feet through the water, and that's in really great conditions. Um, beyond that, the ocean becomes dark, pitch dark. Maybe you've seen some of those Planet Earth specials, things like that. 
Now, to put all of this into perspective, we're saying at about a thousand feet, uh, it's real dark. The average depth of the ocean across the whole ocean is about 12,000 feet. That's real deep. And the deepest known point in, in the world is about 36,000 feet. This is stuff we can hardly fathom as we're, as we're trying to wrap our minds around it. According to the National Ocean Service, we have only actually explored and studied about 5% of the ocean, which means there's 95% that remains a dark mystery to us that science and exploration have not touched. This is the idea in verse 2. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. This dark, mysterious place. So the earth is a formless chaos. It's a dark mystery. It has this kind of foreboding sense about it. What's going to happen? What's going on? And God takes all of this and he begins to create. And how does he create? The obvious Sunday school answer is that he speaks, right? God speaks, and then it happens. And that's true. But what happens before God speaks? What is God doing? Look at the rest of verse 2. The Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. Before God creates with the sound of his voice, he creates with the presence of his spirit. Now I want to teach you another Hebrew word. All right? It is this. Ruach. Try that. Ruach. You kind of have to clear your throat there at the end of it. Ruach. We don't do that in English, right? This is the Hebrew word for spirit. And it's another really rich word. Now I, wanna, I want you to try a few things, okay? Take your hand and hold it out right in front of your mouth. And then just say something. Say hello. Say your name. Maybe try out the word ruach again. All right? As you speak, do you feel something against your hand? In English, we call that breath. In Hebrew, that's ruach. Here's another picture. Have you ever looked out the window or maybe been on one of those hikes that we were talking about and you looked at the tree and you saw the leaves kind of moving a little bit? What is it that's moving those leaves? In English, we call it wind. But in Hebrew, it's ruach. So breath, wind, Spirit. These are all the same in Hebrew. And that's why some translations look at verse 2 and say, a wind from God swept over the waters. And that may be a way of translating it, but I don't think it quite does it justice. 
Because this is not just a wind from God. It is the wind of God, right? This active force at the beginning of creation is the spirit of God at work. This image is like in the morning when you have that hot cup of coffee or tea. You lift it up to your mouth. What do you do? You blow on it. This is what God is doing. The Spirit of God is moving across the waters. God is blowing on the creation. And there's this wonderful change of vocabulary that happens in this verse, right? Because before we had darkness that was over the deep. But now the Spirit is over the waters, right? The deep has this menacing sense to it. But the waters have more of a life-giving connotation to them. So here, in this moment of creation, before there's any spoken word, the Spirit of God is already at work transforming the menacing depths into life-giving waters. This is what the Spirit of God does. He makes way for the Word of God, and He makes way for life. Now, these images of breath or wind and water are used to speak of the Spirit and the presence of God throughout the Scriptures. Right here, God breathes over the whole of creation. But then in the next chapter, in Genesis 2, we see God form human out of the dirt, and then he breathes into it, and it becomes a living being. And, and then there's the Exodus story, okay? Here we have the people of Israel being delivered out of Egypt, and they come to the Red Sea to cross it. And the way that it describes in Exodus 14, it says that a strong wind blew and made the sea a dry ground. The word there is ruach. This is not just a wind that is blowing. It's the Spirit of God delivering God's people into freedom. And then there's the prophets, right, who often speak of God pouring out His Spirit on His people. It's this image of water again. The Spirit is like falling rain. The Spirit is like a blowing breeze or a breath of fresh air. This is how the scriptures speak of the Spirit of God. But there's at least one more powerful image that I, I think is at work here in the text. And it may be an odd one to talk about on Father's Day. But, but what is another watery place where formless things are shaped into life? The womb the womb. This first few verses of Genesis, I believe, are a description of the womb of the world. That word darkness is the same word that's used in Psalm 139, where the psalmist says to God, darkness is as light to you. And then he says, you formed my inward parts and knit me together in my mother's womb. 
And that word hovering over that's used to describe the spirit is the same word used to describe a mother bird hovering over her eggs, incubating them, keeping them warm, standing over her young birds. So the Spirit of God is not only wind and water, but also womb. We are shaped and formed by the Spirit of God. This is where God gives birth to life. And if you're not sure about all of this, these images are not only here in Genesis or even only in the Old Testament. This is how Jesus spoke about the Spirit. I want to invite you to to flip over uh, to John chapter 3. Okay, I just want to read this for you real quick. John chapter 3, I think we also have it on the screen. Uh, Here we see Jesus having a conversation with a Jewish leader named Nicodemus, and he speaks of the kingdom of God and new life, and he speaks of the Spirit. So beginning in verse 3 of John chapter 3, Jesus says to Nicodemus, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And Nicodemus says, How can someone be born when they are old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. And so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So in this conversation with Nicodemus, Jesus is reaching for every single one of these images as he describes the Spirit of God. He speaks of the wind of the Spirit blowing wherever it pleases. He speaks of water. And he speaks of the womb, of new birth, and being born again. You see, the Holy Spirit is the one who fills us, the one who gives us life, the one who forms us. But how does all of this work? I mean, all of these images are nice and poetic, but what does any of it really mean for us? right here today. It's fun to think about. I encourage you to. But what do we do with it? Well, I want to bring you back to the Grand Canyon because it was shaped and formed by ages and ages of erosion, flowing waters, blowing winds. And you see, our life with the Spirit is like that. We are shaped and we are formed, but it rarely happens in an instant. 
our spiritual formation occurs over a lifetime of the Spirit flowing through us and changing us. And this process is beautiful, but like birth, it's not easy. It can be painful, it can be long, and it can be difficult, but it ends in life. And, and one more thing, spiritual formation is not something that we do, right? It is something that God does by his spirit. So spiritual practices like prayer or scripture reading or service are not about changing ourselves. Rather, they are about posturing ourselves so that the Spirit can change us. They're about placing ourselves in the great river of the Spirit, letting Him flow through and shape and form. Spiritual practices are not primarily formative because of our practice, but rather because of God's Spirit. So as we go from here, here are the things I want you to take with you. First, go with a sense that the Spirit is active and alive through life. My hope is that all of these images that we've talked about and seen and meditated on will stick with you throughout the week. That when you take a breath, when you see leaves moving in the breeze, when you take a shower and feel the water pouring down over you, each of these might remind you of the Spirit of God who is blowing and flowing in you. Another thing I want you to take from here is a word of hope. I want you to know that the Spirit is not only active, but is really active in you and active in the people you know. Spiritual formation might take time and might be difficult, but no matter how stuck you may feel, how dry life might seem, or how hard a heart might be, the Spirit of God is strong to blow and flow and change formless chaos into life. Finally, I want to challenge you toward some spiritual practices this week. Remembering that these are not your accomplishments, but rather God's work in you. So what kind of practices might posture your heart toward the Spirit of God? What might God be calling you toward this week? Maybe it's some more intentional prayer. Maybe it's going deeper in community. Try something out and trust the Spirit to do that slow work of formation. He hovered over the formless emptiness and made it into a place filled with life. And He hovers over us still. Amen.